0: Story time with Mama G. Come and hear a story with me. Love who you want to be, who you are. Learn these lessons and we'll go far. It's story time. Story time. Story time with Mama G. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Story Time with Mama G. I am very excited about this episode well to be honest i suppose i'm always excited about the episodes aren't i i wouldn't tell you that i was bored of it because i want you to listen but i would love you to listen to this one because i am talking to the wonderful sally nichols who wrote staying home which is a book that anderson press have published all about a family of raccoons who are experiencing the pandemic just the same way that we are and how they deal with it. And I read it on one of my Facebook Lives a few weeks ago. So I'm very excited for you to find out all about the wonderful Sally Nichols. She's very interesting, you know, so I won't wit her on any longer. Let's get on with the interview. <music> Everybody, it's Mama G here, and thank you so much for joining me for another story time with Mama G. Now, I am here with a wonderful author who is so good with words. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So, hello, what's your name? Uh, I'm Sally Nichols. Hello, Sally, lovely to meet you. And uh, you write books. I do, yes, yeah. Um,
1: everything from picture books to books for teenagers.
0: So you really cover the entire spectrum.
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yes. That's
0: amazing.
1: And how long have you been
0: writing for?
1: Um, my first book came out in 2008, So, but I wrote that, finished that in 2006, started writing in 2005. So, gosh, 15 years since I started writing my first book and 12 years since it was published.
0: Well, that's amazing. So there's quite a long period between a book being written and a book going on the shelves of bookstores.
1: It can be, particularly for picture, but that was a that was a novel, but particularly for picture books, um, because you need to get somebody else to do the pictures. I don't do the pictures, um, I get somebody else to do that. Well, my okay. Have
0: you have you tried doing the pictures?
1: No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I I do, my, my children ask me to draw pictures for them occasionally, um, and they they make my children happy. Plus I get all these amazing artists to draw me these beautiful pictures in my book, which is wonderful.
0: How <laughs> exciting! Um, so, Sally, you've been a writer for fifteen years or so. Let's go right, right back to the very beginning. So, where are you from, Sally? I'm from Stockton on Tees,
1: which is just north of Yorkshire.
0: Just north of Yorkshire, it's near Middlesbrough, I it, believe It's
1: very near Middlesbrough,
0: yes it is Oh, well, see now Middlesbrough has a special place in my heart because that's where I made my professional debut Ooh, yes.
1: yeah, in the Little Theatre In
0: the Little Theatre, the yes Oh, with the... I used to go and see plays
1: there when I was a
0: kid Oh, I love it, it's a beautiful theatre uh, So what were you like when you were little?
1: I like books a lot. I did did a lot of reading. I liked climbing trees and things like that. I wanted to be George in the Famous Five. Um, So I had very, when I was nine, I got all my hair cut off like George and I could never understand why they were allowed to go off and camp on islands and on their own and not see their family for weeks. And for some reason, my mum just never let my brother and I do that. And I was like, but I'm 10, mum. That's how old they are. They're allowed to. But she never, she never
0: let me. Oh, what a shame. But you had that sense of adventure, which is marvellous anyway. And very important for a writer, I imagine, especially of children's books. And George was the sort of tomboy of the the group, wasn't she? Yes. Yes. And did you watch them on television?
1: No, I never saw them on television. I had lots of the books, but um, I, I never watched them on the television.
0: The books are brilliant, actually. If you've not read The Famous Five yet, then I would highly recommend them. Um, and is Enid Blyton a sort of inspiration to you then? Because her um, work covers, well, books for very young readers to books for older readers
1: she does i mean i haven't not not explicitly um i just like i have lots of different ideas um i'm interested in lots of different sorts of of storytelling Mm. um you know i have an idea and i go oh that'd be a good book and and (laughs) i want to go off and go off and write it a lot of writers write books that are all very similar to each other um and i think i would just get bored if i did that one i i it's it, the reason I like doing this job is I like I like being able to have ideas and and go off and do something different. Um, so that's a way. Writing different lots of different age groups lets me do that.
0: And also, um, if you read some of the news articles, perhaps you you I shouldn't have compared you to Enid Blyton for some of her political leaning. So I apologise for that. That's I realise right. a little too late into the question. Yeah. Um, so when you were at school. What did you want to be? Did you always want to be a writer or did you have other aspirations?
1: I always wanted to be a writer, really. There were other things that I I, I thought about, um, but I think really deep down I knew that being a writer was what I always wanted to be.
0: That's amazing. So, for, and you wrote when you were younger as well, I imagine. I bet English must have been your favourite lesson.
1: <laughs> One of my favourite subjects. Yeah, I liked, I liked English. Um, yeah, I mostly wrote stories in my head. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I, I started writing them down. I, when I, I, do, I do talks in schools and I, I, I say to the children, I don't remember deciding to be a writer because I felt like I already was a writer. That um, that was something I already did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just it was, you know, I would just have to work out how to get paid to do it. Um, but I didn't I didn't feel like I said then that I'm going to be a writer. I sort of thought, well, I am a writer and and, you know, how can I make that my
0: job? If you see what I mean. Oh, I absolutely understand, because I felt very much the same about being a pantomime day. <laughs> bizarrely. Can you remember any of the stories that you wrote in your head?
1: Yeah, um, I, I had some, I had one about a family of six children who, who looked after the eldest. Well, the eldest was 11, which I thought was very grown up. So I thought by the time you were 11, you could completely raise your five siblings on your own. Of course. Um, and they, of course, that's like really old, being 11. I think they all lived in a house together and just I don't quite remember what they did but I remember that being you know being being on their own and and raising themselves was was a was a big was a big part of it. One of my one of my published books is about siblings who are raising themselves but the eldest is 19 in that case so it's a bit it's a bit more plausible. But yeah I used to have stories going around in the back in the back of my head and just sort of tell them and tell them and get them get them
0: right. Get them Uh, right. Uh, Did you ever share them with other people? No. (laughs) <laughs> not at all really well I yeah. when I was little I used to create a story about unicorns but I used to help that come to uh, my imagination by making my friends act it out
1: oh right yes no I uh, <laughs> it was a bit too private I think um,
0: that's that's fair enough and yeah. as well as Enid Blyton who what books were you enjoying what who was inspiring you from a A literary sense
1: A literary sense Talking of being on the stage Lots of Noel Stratfield She's always got Lots of books about children Child actors And things like that
0: Yes And the uh, the ballet shoes Yes Ballet shoes
1: I love that Love that book we used to go on holiday to the Lake District um, with my with my grandparents, and they used to take us sailing. So we used to read all the all the um, the in the light, not the Noel North Stratford, no, ah, uh, <laughs> Arthur Arthur Ransom stories,
0: swallows in Amazon, yeah,
1: swallows in yeah. Amazon, So that's, it's a very very old fashioned taste in books, really. For it, my friends who are into Roald Dahl.
0: That's a great taste in books because. That's that's the sort of people who will have inspired the authors that your friends were enjoying at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and also they're still good stories.
1: were, well, completely.
0: I loved the um Noel Streetfield books. I can remember my mum reading to me them to me oh, you know, when I was always. They're fantastic. And so go and look them up actually. Go and look those books yes, up if you can did. still get them. I'm sure you can. Um and so do you have an interest in history because looking through the books you've published quite a few of them are historical
1: they are yeah um that's, that's, an, that's another interesting question i mean sort of i some some writers who write historical books they they really like doing all the research and finding out what sort of clothes everybody wore and what the mm. house and that kind of thing um i don't think i'm so interested in history for its own, sake. I'm, I'm interested in social history, which is mm. three of how, so there's sort of, there's sort of political history, which is wars and kings and queens and, and, and that kind of people chopping each other's heads off and that kind of stuff. And then there's social history, which is what sort of houses people lived in and what sort of food they ate and what sort of clothes they wear, wore and how they would, how they would spend their day. You know, the idea that a child would be in school all day is quite a new idea. Um, uh, 200 years ago. A lot of children would be working from quite young and that kind of thing and that sort of history really interests me because people are fundamentally still people they haven't they haven't changed the way that people respond to being happy or frightened or raising their children or falling in love those sorts of they playing those sorts of things are still the same um but the the kind of the kind of details of how they were able to do that are obviously really different based on what technology you've got and, you know, what what sort of what jobs you have to do in order to survive and that kind of thing. So that's what sort of history I'm I'm really interested in. I like reading historical books,
0: um, like a historical, like a factual history book
1: no more more stories stories about you know or even books that were written 100 years ago or 200 years ago mm. and again the things that we would recognize and the things that we wouldn't and often it's quite surprising the things that that are the same and the things that are different i mean victorian people like to go a party until 3am just like modern people do um but they would do it in a ball right, ballroom rather than than in a nightclub that kind of thing you have this idea about how people lived their lives and the sort of people that they were and actually in reality they were probably very similar. It's been interesting with all the coronavirus stuff and everybody sort of talking about about making sewing sewing scrubs and, and making face masks and things like that because that's exactly how people responded 100 years ago when the war was declared suddenly they, they wanted to help and they didn't know how to help so they all went out and started knitting scarves and things and it's like <laughs> Wonderfully sounds wonderfully sort of quaint when you think, oh, these people, so, you know, these 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 Edwardian ladies sitting and knitting scarves. So it's really funny to see it playing out in the same way, on, on, um, or now, and going, oh, that's just the same as a hundred years ago. Yeah, that's
0: that's fascinating, isn't it? Because people have made a lot of comparisons between uh, the pa- current pandemic experience and the two world wars interesting to think that maybe in a hundred years time people will look back at what we were doing and think oh gosh they all sat around making face masks and talking to each other on video phones <laughs> oh, what, so strange. <laughs> what <laughs> could those days have possibly been like
1: it, is. it there is so there are so many yeah there are there are a lot more similarities and there'd be a lot of people there's a lot of unemployment when the first world war had a lot of people lost their jobs um because they were working in factories that made food that was shipped off to to Germany or, or France, and suddenly you couldn't you couldn't do that. You know, you can't start. You can't. You, we're not trying to feed the enemy anymore. So, so lots and lots of jobs were lost, lost. Lots of lots of economic and this same kind of confusion where you have a lot of work that needs to be done by somebody, and a lot of people who need a job, but you haven't quite we haven't quite aligned the
0: two together. And so the social history aspect of it. Uh, does that inform the books you write about more modern culture and society?
1: I don't know I mean every book that you write it's hard to trace where all the ideas come from um you you write a book and it's not it's not sort of sometimes it's not till you finish writing it that you sort of think oh yeah that came from there or that came you know you put when you're writing about children you put bits of your own childhood in or Mm. you've read or even kind of phrases that that you used to say as a kid or whatever that find themselves in there so I think sometimes it's hard to sometimes it's hard to 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 notice where where things come from but i do find that whatever i'm interested in seems to come out in different ways in the book whatever i'm reading about and thinking about seems to find its way into into the things that i'm writing about
0: well i i'm such a nerd about these things you see i completely distracted ourselves from Mm -hmm. my from my direction i was going in (laughs) don't worry because it's fascinating you obviously fe- always felt like you were an author and you wanted to be a writer. You just needed to work out how to make it happen. So how did you make it happen?
1: Well, I did something called a master's in um, in writing for young people. It's like a university degree that you would do after you'd finished your your first university degree. Mm. And... Normally, you might do a master's in history and, and write a very intelligent essay on Henry VIII or whatever. Um, but because mine was a, ma- a master's in writing, um, I had a wonderful year. I got to spend a year writing stories and um, reading books. And at the end of it, I, I handed in my dissertation, which was my first novel, um, which is a book called Ways to Live Forever. And that was such a gift. To have, because and one of the things that a lot of writers say is that it's it's really hard to find the space to write. It's really hard to feel motivated. You know, books take a lot of time mm. to write, even a children's books which are generally shorter. They they take a lot of energy and focus. You have to. It's, it's very hard to keep doing that if if you don't have a publisher and you're thinking, well, is this ever going to get published? So the masters was wonderful for me because I got to spend a whole year. In which you know people were literally saying to me right your homework this week is to hand in the next 2,000 words of your book and go oh, okay i better go you know it's very easy to feel wow. motivated to do your homework because people are going to tell you off if you don't do it <laughs> uh, and then at the end of it I, I'd, I'd written a novel Of course had a prize sponsored by a literary agent uh, A literary agent is a bit like your manager if you're a rock band they they take your books and they try and sell them to publishers uh, they do things like negotiate how much money you're going to get spent and that paid and that sort of thing and she had a prize for the most promising writer on the course which I won and she became my agent and she managed to sell my first book and I've been doing this ever since.
0: Sounds like a fairy tale.
1: Well it is a bit because I mean one of the things the course said that was really good uh, was the MA in writing for people at Baths Bar um, and they were very realistic about what our chances were and how likely we were to get published and how likely we were to be able to earn a living doing this and all that sort of stuff. So I was expecting to have to send it off to lots of people and have lots of rejections and that sort of thing, and that is that is more more the usual group, But I think it was the book that that hit the right kind of moment. It was a book about a child who's dying of, of cancer, which nowadays is a sort of YA cliche, but it. Um, 12, 15 years ago, people were very sceptical. You know, my agent said to me, why would teenagers want to read a book about someone who's dying? Like, why would this be a th- Why would they care? Why would this be a thing? Won't people buy it? But there had been several big books that had sold very well to teenagers and to um, adults, things like The Curious Instinct, The Dog in the Nighttime. Um, so publishers were kind of on the lookout for these books that would be read by young people and also be read by adults. That was the place in the market that I get. So it hit what publishers were, were already looking out for. I think if I'd written it five years earlier, I would have found it much harder to get a publisher.
0: Had that been your intention, or had you just written about a subject that you were interested in?
1: Oh, no, completely. I'd just written a book about a subject that I was interested in. Um, it's about a child who is going to die, and he's asking all these big questions about life and death. Where do we go after we die? Where does God get? Kids get ill, and those were questions that I was interested in. I wanted to write a book that asked them. And um, this this idea that sometimes the ask the the act of asking the question is almost as important as the answer. Like these are questions that are fundamentally unanswerable. We don't mm-hmm. we don't have answers. We don't know what happens to you after you die. We don't know how that works i maybe scientists will find out but you know as as a as an 11 year old boy the, the child in the book isn't going to find out but i i thought the the act of asking them and the act of thinking about it and the act of kind of deciding for yourself what what you think the answers are has mm. has merit in itself even if you know and in fact perhaps if perhaps more profoundly if you do know that it's only ever going to be your opinion you're never going to know whether what you believe is true until you do die but going through that process has value in itself for mm. your your own kind of sense of who you are and where you are in the world and how you how you feel about these things so i just i just wanted to write a book about that i thought it was I thought it was interesting Um, i thought it was an interesting thing to address to address for children and, and it was a book that i, I mean I, this is what i do i i take oh that'd be a good idea for a book I'll i'll write that i think about half the ideas that i I, um, I I I send to my editors. My editors kind of quietly say, "I'm, I'm not sure that that's going to work." As a book. <laughs> they, um, they they I, I I've got into the habit of uh, before I start writing a book, going and going and talking to my editor about what I want to write. And, and about half the time they go, "Yeah, maybe maybe write something else. We don't think that one that one will work." But then occasionally, by like live forever, you have an idea that just seems to hit one people want to read about. It. So it is a bit of an adventure and. It is more precarious than if I was the sort of writer who, like you know, Blyton, who was writing twenty-five books about the same the same set of characters. You know, mm. that's that's a very safe way of writing a book because if your characters have read twenty-four, if your readers have read twenty-four other you know, famous five books, they're probably going to want to read twenty-five. But I, that's not the way that my my brain works, and that's something that I find I find quite hard to do. I, I mm. you know, I. I um yeah, I've, I've just been writing a book at the moment that's a sequel. It's a sequel to a picture book I've got that's coming out next year. And they said, will you write another one? And I went, oh, yes, that'll be lovely. And, and actually, it's been really hard sitting down and going, OK, I need to do the same thing, but kind of different because I mm. feel the- up." You know, it's been done. What do I want to do in the one?
0: Yeah, and also for some people, even if it's a passion, writing can be quite arduous. Like oh, uh, yeah. performing is my passion, but sometimes you think, "Oh, this is really hard work." <laughs>
1: well, of course it is. I say to kids, I do school visits. I say it's like doing the same piece of homework every night for for um, for a year. You know, it's not. You know, you, no matter how much you like English. You still maybe don't want to do the same piece of homework every day. I mean probably being in a play is something if you're doing the same play every you know it might be fun the first time but it is absolutely
0: work. And, and we're just very lucky that you're able to do work that you do care about and you are passionate I about. I That's no amazing. I, can't
1: imagine, I can't imagine loving a job as much as I love the job that I have and I can't imagine wanting to do anything else really. I mean sometimes I sort of think oh I might want to write this sort of book or that sort of book or whatever. Yeah I feel I feel incredibly privileged that's so amazing.
0: And the masters that you did was about writing for young people. Yes. Definitely. So you've always known that that was who your audience was.
1: No, I was in my third year at university, and which is a sort of slightly terrifying point where you realise you've, you've got to get a job next year. <laughs> and, you know, all my or do friends... a
0: masters, which is always yeah, a
1: good. Yeah, I do. Like to... <laughs> this is it. Like everyone, you know, they start having all these, all these, these management management um, training scheme, um, you know, seminars and careers fairs and things. and all my friends are going, oh yes, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a graduate graduate position at you know wherever that's <laughs> i don't you know this, you kind of you kind of vaguely think oh I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up I might be an explorer or I might be uh, um you know working in an orphanage or something and then suddenly you're like oh and I've got to actually decide now I went and had a look at the careers library and it was full of all these different careers and you're kind of looking through these books of careers like do I, do I really want to do that do I really want to do that and i i sort of realized that actually I did know what I want to do when I grow up. And I had known that since I was about five and it was it was wanting to write. And I thought I here I am investing this this energy. I mean not a huge amount of energy, let's be honest. This was one of the high library. But you know, investing some energy in, in trying to find some enthusiasm for a career. And actually I always, I already did have a lot of enthusiasm and I had a lot I, I talked to children and I say so it's a sense of vocation. Um, that sense that this is the job that that you are you 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 are meant to be doing i mean I, I i don't i don't think there's a puppet master who's kind of manipulated me into being a writer but i do think that this is the job that i am without question suited to and which makes me very happy and it's 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 the it's something that i have done in my head at least all my life and would probably continue to do if i wasn't being paid for and i thought this is you know this is this is what this this is what i want to be doing next year I thought, well I'll give it I'll give it yeah. And I had some and my father was in the merchant navy, um, and he died when I was quite small. So I had I had some merchant navy pension money of his that would continue to be paid as long as I was in I think it was as long as I was in full time education up until I was twenty five. So there was money that I had that, that could be used to support this. So I went and I found a big book back in my career's library again a big book of all the different masters in creative writing in the country and i sort of started looking through it and it's they're all you know here's the name of the university and here's masters in creative writing and i'm kind of oh okay and you sort of think i know which which one am i going to do how am i going to pick one of these you know okay i'll write down all the names and then i'll go look at their websites and kind of kind of make a decision and then i turned the page and there was said masters in writing for children and it was just like a light bulb had come on in my head I just thought oh I could do that that would be brilliant you know that'll be a lot because oh, I hadn't I hadn't really thought I hadn't I wasn't sitting there going oh I definitely want to write crime novels or I definitely want to write you know mm. plays or anything like that I I, I wanted to tell stories um, and I didn't have much of a clear idea beyond that of what sort of story I wanted to tell but I was just something brilliant I could write you know like you were saying I could write, umpires and fairies and adventures <laughs> and, you know mountains and, and wizards and it was just it just felt it was just this kind of moment of being like yeah that's what i want that's the course i'm gonna do and it made my life a lot easier because i didn't have to apply to all those adult adult um ma's i think i, think I ended up only ended up applying for two or three in the at
0: uh-huh.
1: the end of it because there were only two or three that in the country that, that did that um but just this kind of sense of of joy i get to spend this joyful year telling telling you know stories stories for children um i mean not, not that my books are joyful they, they tend to be <laughs> quite dark as, it, as it happens um but there's a sense there's a sense that you're not you, you're not sitting there trying to write write and write very kind of clever pontificatory um you know serious books you're you're, you're trying you're writing for somebody who wants to be entertained and who will stop reading. they're not entertained
0: um, Absolutely. And I I think there's also uh, you kind of forget that stories for children don't always have to be fun. No. And because I find and it's the same with pantomime, actually, that children want a story that is believable, not necessarily a pantomime, but is true to the characters in that situation. They want everything to be true.
1: Yeah. I read a really interesting piece of. Uh, several i've seen several writers actually who said that they said it doesn't matter if you've got princesses and, and and wicked witches and and you know evil evil grand viziers or whatever you can make that as silly as you want but if you're going to write about what it feels like to fall in love or what it feels like to be frightened or what it feels like to to lose everything you have to tell that honestly um and as long as you get that bit right people will believe in the in the flying saucers and the and the rest of it
0: yeah absolutely and you have to to sometimes write about raccoons who are yeah. <laughs> who are self-quarantining. Oh, sometimes you do. <laughs> um, and, well of course I'm talking about Staying Home yeah. which Anderson Press have uh, published which is by Sally and by Vivian Schwartz. Yeah. Yes. Yes yeah. uh, who's the illustrator and now you did say it. sometimes it takes a very long time to write a book. But I imagine this book, Staying Home, which is available for free as well from it Anderson is, Press, yes. um, you must have written that quite quick, unless you've got an incredible <laughs> psychic ability.
1: No, that, that, that one was written, that, one was, that was actually written in the week before lock Revs. Was, was that... I think lockdown had just been announced, and i I knew i had i've got two small children who are two and four um so so the, yeah the, the raccoon's life has a lot of draws a lot from my 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 family family life um, amazing but I knew I sort of had three days before their schools would shut and their nursery would shut um and I was trying to write this book that was i think it was about the internet and i, I the, the, the world i felt like my head had been knocked sideways by these huge changes and these huge um this huge like reassessment of the world and my my head was my head was just not sideways and my viewpoint was sideways and the things I've seen and I just kind of sitting there going I don't care about writing a book about bloggers like nobody's going to be interested in this and I'm not interested in writing it and I I knew that these were the last day working days I would have really um and I wanted to write something that was where my head was at so I thought I would try and write about write about this and what I thought it was going to be like when my when my kids came home. For those of you who don't know the book, it's it's a day in a life book, which is a real kind of classic genre in children's picture books. Mm-hmm. It's what you get in the baby's catalogue or Pico or Lucy and Tom's Day, that sort of thing. They wake up and they have their breakfast and they do some playing and they, they you know, have their dinner and they clean their teeth and they have a bedtime story and they go to bed. bed and it's, it's this very kind of, safe and familiar structure of a children's book um but of course they're not they're all at home they're self-ported they're they're um they're in lockdown they're not allowed to go to school um and I'm kind of looking at what that might be like and why why they would have to do that
0: yeah and it's it handles the situation really well because i imagine uh it's very difficult to explain this to children and adults it turns out yes. of <laughs> all ages um, yes. and i think the book handles it in a really really special way and the illustrations go along with it fantastically and there's I've I've, I've,
1: the illustrations I oh they so, they're so they're, they're cheeky yeah.
0: it's brilliant and i've i've read it quite a few times because i've read it on my facebook live yeah. and i read it for youtube as well thank you for letting me do both yeah. of those
1: with pleasure yeah
0: and I, every time i read it i notice different things and one of the things i noticed that i think is most exciting about it is that there's this, this gentle non-assumption about the characters in terms of their gender stereotypes and their gender roles and there's just nice gestures to the diversity of their neighbourhoods and I think it's really exciting that even in a a children's book those things can be present and without comment as well which I thought was amazing because it actually took me a little while to realise it and then when I did I thought this is amazing this is so stunning so was that? I don't want to say intentional because that sounds a bit cynical, but
1: yeah. No, but I mean, yeah, it is. It was intentional. I mean, I am I am very lucky in that um, my my household does work like the household in the book. My husband and I both both have jobs. Um, we we have this schedule. It's not it's not quite a made explicit in the book, but we have the schedule where we alternate. He, did, he does two and a half hours childcare, and I do some work, and then I do two and a half hours childcare, and he does some work, and it swaps each day. So one day we're doing someone's doing the, the morning slot and the next day somebody else is doing the bedtime slot and somebody else is making the dinner and it means that the 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 housework of doing a house is is being shared between the two of us and the child is being shared between the two of us and our our work is being equally valued you know i know a lot of households people say oh, well he earns more money than i do or you know his his job is he doesn't he doesn't cope as well with the children so i'm doing it all and that's not that's not been the case in in my household and i think that's one reason i feel like i feel like as a family we're we're coping quite well with a lot i mean my my kids really miss really miss their friends and i would very much like more time you know not not doing childcare. but um i think we are coping well and i think the reason we're coping is because we both have that time or our work is being we're supporting each other both in Mm. doing that work. and i kind of I there wasn't ever any question to me that the mum would be doing all the childcare and the dad would be sitting on his computer um because that's not that's not how it's working in my house and I'm like I don't feel like I, I shouldn't be grateful for that but I am grateful that, that that is happening um and yeah absolutely I wanted I wanted the little girl to be playing with Lego and I wanted the the little boy to be the one that was that was quite enjoying being at home with his mummy yeah. and his
0: dad
1: and then I wanted there to be the, um, the little boy, the little boy, yeah, there's one of their friends, it's called, it's called Hakim, and a little boy called Hakim in my son's class, and his mum said, oh, he's delighted that there's a child in a book with his name in, that he'd never seen that before. I did, the, the school my son goes to, uh, my, my eldest is in reception, and my youngest is in nursery, and the school he goes to has got um, 70% English as an additional language, a lot of Punjabi and Urdu children, mm. um, and at Christmas, I thought, I, I thought I'd like to buy some books for the for the school um and I thought I'll try and get some books with with Muslim children in and it was really quite shocking how hard it was to find mainstream books with Muslim children in I thought the least I can do is have a bit a bit of a nod to a nod to that um although it isn't it isn't much more much more of a nod but um, it
0: does it does demonstrate his response to it it does demonstrate that. Even a gesture can have a huge impact.
1: Yeah, and no, we should no, probably indeed. take and more care it, in that. It, it is not not much more than I mean. As a as someone who writes picture books myself, probably I should be doing more to more to 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 kind of to kind of make this make this better. But this is the first picture book I've written that is like I've got various picture books in very I'm, I'm quite new to picture. But I've got one that's published, which is the Button Book, um, uh, which is again is all animals. Um, yeah and the others I've got in various stages of being illustrations being commissioned and they're not this is the first one I've written that is that kind of day in the life sort of well this kind of daily life mm. um, but it's definitely something to think about
0: absolutely well and and staying home is fantastic and if you haven't read it yet or you haven't watched me read it then go to Anderson <laughs> Press and you can download a free copy um, well thank you very much uh, Sally it's been lovely to talk to you and before we go if uh, people want to find out more about you where can they how can they do that
1: how how can they do that, they do that? well they can um they can look at my website which is sallynichols.co.uk um, i'm on twitter as Sally Nichols, i've got a facebook page um i my books are published by various publishers um all available in all good bookshops uh, most of which are still delivering now, even in the middle of a pandemic. Um, uh, please support your local independent bookshop and buy
0: yeah. some. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Sally. A very big thank you to Sally for agreeing to be on the podcast. And I did forget to mention earlier that the book Staying Home is available for free download from the Anderson Press website, which is andersonpress.co.uk. And it was also illustrated by Vivian Schwartz. So thank you to Sally, Vivian and Anderson Press for such a wonderful book. And now, talking of books, it is time for the Book of the Week. Now my Book of the Week is inspired by the conversation I just had with Sally because we both enjoyed this particular book when we were smaller so my Book of the Week is Noel Streetfield's Ballet Shoes and in fact that is part of a whole series of books by Noel Streetfield about shoes. There's Ballet Shoes Theatre shoes, tennis shoes, circus shoes and white boots. Obviously, Noel got bored of saying shoes by that point. Uh, Ballet shoes is about the ballet. Theatre shoes is about the theatre. Tennis shoes is about tennis. Circus shoes is about the circus. And white boots is about ice skating. And actually, I really enjoy all of those things. I love going to the ballet. I truly do. I love the theatre. I love watching ice skating, I really, really, really enjoy the circus, and I have played tennis. I don't really enjoy watching it, although I did go to Wimbledon once, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, And I don't truly enjoy playing it that much, but I'm sure it's a lovely book. So the premise of the books is that they follow three sisters, whose names I did just look up, but I've already forgotten. I think one of them is called Petronella. One of them's definitely called Posy. They all start with P's. Uh, I'm not sure why. And they are adopted by Great Uncle Matthew. But at some point, Great Uncle Matthew goes missing. And then they are brought up by his niece, Sarah or Sylvia. Susan? Sam. I don't remember that one either. And it follows their adventures, and they've got. A a famous actress for a grandmother. They know ballet dancers. They obviously know circus people. Oh, it's just... They're flights of fantasy. And I can remember when I was poorly, I'd got ballet shoes out of the library. And my mum sat at the end of my bed and read it to me when I was ill. And that was lovely. What a happy memory that is. So, yes, I'm going to recommend... Ballet Shoes by Noel Streetfield and you can go to all the usual places and buy beautiful editions and I believe you can buy the five as a set. At Noel Streetfield, of course, very much in a similar vein to sort of your your Enid Blyton's and E. Nesbitt's, but she did write a little bit later. She uh, passed away in 1986. I've just read, but she has got an old time quality to her writing, and they really are wonderful, magical books, so I do hope you enjoy them. Well, thank you so much for joining me for another story time with Mamma G. Don't forget that I do love to hear from you. And you can get in touch by finding me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Mamma G Stories. And also, you can watch me on Facebook telling stories and being silly and making a mess every Wednesday and Sunday at 6pm. Just uh, search for at Mamma G Stories again and I'll be there, live on Facebook. What else is happening? soon well nothing because we're all still stuck at home but I hope you're well and I will see you next week bye it's story time with Mama G come and hear a story with me love who you want to be who you are, learn these lessons and we'll go far, it's story time it's story time it's story time with Mama